So nice to be here with everybody. Thank you, Nityananda Chandra, for holding this special space for all of us to come together. So, we'll see. So thanks again for the invitation, the opportunity to be with elevated conscious people is the most sacred opportunity of life. So whenever we're around like-minded, spiritually developed people, it's very encouraging, right? So we're getting a lot of inspiration from the littlest one. <laughs> so my name is Jagaranga. My Sanskrit, or my initiated name is Jagaranga Das. And Nityananda Chandraprabhu asked me to speak about how I came in contact with Krishna consciousness in this lifetime. I want to talk about other lifetimes. Uh, so I was uh, 19 years old, and I was I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and I went to New York because I didn't want to finish high school. Oh, I I didn't graduate in time, and I was like my false ego, my, I didn't want to go back to the same high school. And I was ready just to move on in life. So I went to New York where my uncle was, had a factory for manufacturing clothes and I worked for him. I was very interested in spirituality and culture and people, you know. I grew up in a Jewish family and, you know, learned a bit about Judaism growing up and that tradition and then also whenever my friends would come over I'd ask them so what do you think happens after death you know what's your idea of God and I would go to church with my friends and learned a little bit about Christian and Catholic traditions and I wasn't fully satisfied with the presentation of you know Judeo-Christian you know, philosophy, so to speak. But then, uh, so I was in New York and I was really open to, you know, finding the truth and finding out who I was and what my place is in the world. And I saw the devotees chanting like we do, you know, in the, in the streets. And I was very fascinated and attracted by the kirtan. And I was like, what about these Western people and the, you know, dhotis and, you know, it's, monk kind of clothes and saris and clothes from India. I was like, wow, it's very... But more, more than that, I was just like a like called to the vibration of the people. One of the devotees came over to me and gave me an invitation to the center. And they said, you know, please come. We're having a program this evening and we have them um, a few times a week. And you're welcome to come with us. We're going to be going through the streets singing and dancing and chanting Hare Krishna. And I was a skateboarder. I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll catch up with you guys later. Cause... And I shred around the city. So they went on their way. They kept chanting. I skateboarded around. Then I, I looked at the invitation. I was like, oh, the center is just right around the corner. So I went, the, the center is called Matchless Gifts. Actually, it was the first center that 
the founder of the Hare Krishna movement started in 1960-something. Uh, and it was already called Matchless Gifts. It was a, a storefront. And he rented it out, but he kept the sign because he liked that title, you know, Matchless Gifts. And so, yeah, I was skateboarding around, and then I got to the center, and as soon as I entered, it's just like, you know, every, every space has a different vibrational effect, right? You know, if you go into a bar, or you go into a library, or, or people, just even people, we all hold vibrational space. Everybody has a different projection. So as soon as I entered the matchless gifts, I was, I felt like I had made it home. You know, I felt like this is something deep is going on here, just from the atmosphere. And I was attracted, and I immediately thought, I got to go get my sister. You know, she was 20 blocks. <coughs> up at where we were staying at my aunt's house. I was like, I have, to get, I have to bring my sister to this. I didn't even know what, I didn't hear one word. Of, somebody, I was late, and it's like, you know, we take off our shoes. So it was New York City, they didn't have the shoes outside. They had the shoes like in the, in the front, and I had to like kind of push the door a bit, and push the shoes, and I got in, and it was packed place, and the person in the back of the room was giving a talk. And then I was like, oh man, I gotta go get this. Uh, very powerful spiritual place. So I went to leave. And then the person giving class goes, Hey, where are you going? She said, And I was, everybody turned around and looked at me. I was like, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to get my sister. And she was like, Well, come right back. And I remember, I was like, You know, normally you go late to a, a presentation and, you know, it kind of interrupts or disturbs the the flow so the people usually don't you know stop it and personally you know make a connection so i was again i was struck by the the people you know the people are very personal and and so i said okay and i skateboarded 20 blocks in new york city got to the broadway and 22nd street and went up the uh, skyscraper apartment complex to the 11th floor, unbolted all the locks, and my sister was in the living room watching TV in the dark, you know, just like the flashing lights and her on the couch all curled up. And I remember just the contrast of like, you know, going to a place where people were, okay, right now we're gonna try to s elevate our consciousness compared to like, you know, what what's going on. <laughs> I was like, wow, there's a big difference here, but, uh, I was like, you gotta come to this place, you know. I just found this like amazing spiritual um, place. You gotta come with me. She was like, well, I'm kind of tired and whatnot, and I was a little bit heartbroken. I was like, okay, well, another time. And I just immediately left and skateboarded back to the program and heard a little bit of the presentation, and then had some of the the dinner. And what struck me was like previously I was open to, you know, meeting wholesome people. I was in New York City, and the people that I was meeting usually had an agenda, you know, they were trying to take something. They weren't givers, you know. So it was a, it was a big contrast when I met the devotees, and, you know, the person who gave me the invitation to the program, like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, there weren't 
thinking, oh, we're going to get money from this person, or we're going to get... Even energetically, devotees aren't sucking, you know. You know, a lot of times you, you, you're in different exchanges with people, and sometimes you feel drained at a certain level. Because at different degrees, we're all, you know, needy, of course, emotionally, in different capacities. But devotees, because they're filled up with internal pleasure, they're givers. They're able to, like, give more than they need. And that's, uh, that's so much needed. So I felt that when I met the per first person who gave me a card and then the person, all the other devotees I met, they were like this wholesomeness. And it was like such a relief to meet a human, you know, to meet a person who was a giver. And that's what I feel like, you know, Krishna consciousness is about the chanting and the philosophy and the whole, you know, lifestyle is to fill up, you know, fill up our hearts with praying, you know, that word praying. Praying means love, you know, everybody's looking for love, they're singing about it, they're looking for it in relationships. And spiritually speaking, the, the ancient teachings of all spiritual traditions say that it's, it's within. It's within all of us, everybody has that pleasure that bliss that we're looking for externally through things or activities we're made of it in sanskrit the constitution of the essence of every being is ananda that means pleasure or bliss sat chit ananda is the nature of the soul it's explained sat is eternal chit is consciousness and ananda is pleasure. So we're made of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. So the chanting of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare, it's just a revive, it cleanses the consciousness to bring out that natural spiritual self, which is full of pleasure. And then, yeah, seeing that in the devotees, you know, the more we're practicing it and the more we're experiencing it the more we can give it right you can't give what you don't have you may want to you may have all the best intentions but if we don't have experiences on a deep internal level then how are we going to give more of what we want you know more of you know what what is precious it's just like my teacher, he said that people should love people and use things, right? Use things for the service of people. It shouldn't be the other way around. It shouldn't be that we love things and use people. But unfortunately, a lot of times these days, you know, because we're, our consciousness sometimes is clouded, we're thinking, how can this? How can I use this person for my things or for my experience? Or you know, we're thinking, how can I use this person to get things? Because it's the thing, you know. Our, we're thinking that the pleasure comes from an outside source. It's obtaining 
gadgets, objects, houses, cars, whatever it may be. But, you know, Krishna consciousness, spiritual realization is that we're already fully satisfied, enlightened beings. <laughs> it's just that we have to uncover or reawaken our dormant conscious, our, our dormant spiritual consciousness. So yeah, so that was a little bit about, you know, how I met the devotees. And then I was thinking, okay, I like, I like the teachings. You know, I believe that, you know, who I am really is more than just the body and that, that I'm not a Jewish soul or a Christian soul or a Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu, that these are just ways, different cultural ways that people have <clears throat> used to approach their, their true self and the Supreme Self or God, but that ultimately that who I am as a conscious person is a soul, is a spiritual being that has a relationship in unity with other spiritual beings and that the body is just like a dress. You know, just like we may put on a shirt, a t-shirt, sweatpants, or you may, you may change, put on a suit, put on a dress, put on a different cultural attire, but that's just a covering. So sometimes it's explained that the, the clothes are covering to the body. We have an undershirt, we may have a jacket over that, so sometimes there's a, the body is like the jacket, and then the mind is like the undershirt. But uh, also the mind. Sometimes, okay, we, we come to the realization, okay, I'm not the body. You know, I'm not black or white or man or woman or from the Philippines or from any place of, you know, it's not the essence of my energy. It's not really who I am. It's just the externals. So we may come to that stage, but then we think, well, but on my mind, you know, and all those thoughts, you know, we identify with them. I may not be the, okay, I agree, I'm not just, you know, you can, I can, something might happen, I could lose my arm. It's not that I lost, or, you know, something for myself. I get a heart transplant or whatever, you know, different things, but still the essence of the personality is different. So then we come, may get to a certain level and we think we're the mind, all the different things we identify with or even the thoughts, but actually the soul is is aloof. It says that uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, it says that a wise person, they realize that the body may be changing from childhood to youth to adult to old age. And the wise person, they, they're not bewildered by all those changes. And even at the time of death, they're not bewildered because they see that that's just another change so that the soul is eternal and it's the essence of life and it's a person it's like you know what is the meaning of pleasure if you're not a person and sometimes when you start to get too heady about spirituality you think oh it's all just energy and the universe and it's all one. What is this? So 
just practically speaking, what is pleasure if you're not an entity? So real pleasure is to be experienced. And to have an experience, you have to be somebody, <laughs> plain and simple. So the soul is who we really are. And all the different activities that we're endeavoring for is to get some experience, to get some pleasure. And in the spiritual circles, it's what we're trying to do is go to the root. You know, it's like explain that. If you water the root of a tree, then everything is nourished. You know, if you feed your body, if you feed, you know, put the food in your mouth, and then the whole body is nourished. So if, if you get soul food, you know, if you have a spiritual experience, then you're watering the root of what we're looking for. You know, you may be totally materially comfortable, for whatever that means, just like in the West. One time, I was, like I was saying when I first met the devotees, I was, I was 19, now I'm 48, so I was like 20-something years ago. So I met this kid that grew up in the movement, and he had, I went to, on a pilgrimage to India, and he was in India for the first time. He went to a school in Mayapur, and he was living in a thatched hut, and he was taking his shower by a water pump, and he was telling me that, he said, materially speaking, you know, the, I asked him how you like it, you know, he grew up in California, how you, how's your experience here? And, he said, materially speaking, you know, the comforts that I grew up with aren't there at all. But spiritually speaking, I'm finding so much inspiration that it's not an issue. He said, whereas, you know, when I was growing up in California, you know, playing video games and whatever, everything was materially comfortable, still, I was mentally agitated. So spiritual comfort is what we're, we're striving for more than just comfort comfort is, is kind of like a neutral experience right you're kind of like okay there's no pain here or here or there but it's not like a positive ecstasy or so the spiritual practice is to revive the ecstasy of the soul and the chanting is the main the main way that you know we do it and meditation and philosophy also helps to guide, you know, the lifestyle of how we see the world. So I'll read one, uh, one random verse from the Bhagavad Gita just for the heck of it. <laughs> okay. So I opened up to chapter 8, text 22. This chapter is called Attaining the Supreme. How many of us would like to attain the Supreme? Can I hear, can I hear a Haribo? So it says, The Supreme Personality of God, who is greater than all, is attainable by unalloyed devotion. Although he is present in his abode, he is all-pervading, and everything is situated within him. That's where, like, you know, some people, I, I remember, like, in high school, or younger, I used to smoke pot, and we'd be like, imagine, like, the whole universe was just, like, on the tip of, like, 
about some God's finger. Like all of us were just a speck, or you know, that's like you know, you'd like trip out or whatever you want to call it, or you'd be like, oh, that's far out, man. So, but like real spirit, the the truth is more far out than than our imagination, actually. Right here, it's saying that everything that God is within everything, and everything is within God. So th that's like you know, wrap your head around that one. That's like that's far out. So that's like you know, a reality that the like I was saying that not only who we are essentially is a conscious person, my microcosmically, but macrocosmically, the whole universal structure behind that is the supreme personality of God, a conscious person who, spiritually speaking, is within everything. And everything is within him. So it's like some inconceivable kind of simultaneous energies going on. Because actually, you know, mentally speaking, where we're trying to figure out, sometimes you try to figure out what's the life all about. Well, what's, what's, what am I doing in this universe or, you know, everything. But it's so many of the tiniest material things are even beyond our conception. And just that our heart, you know, it's not like we have to, how many of us are conscious that, that oh, okay, right now i got to pump blood through my, my body. Oh, well, hold on, hold on, everybody. Just, I'm think about this. Okay, yeah, because if I didn't do it, it wouldn't happen kind of thing. No, we don't know. We don't know Jack. Basically, if, we, if we're humble enough and realistic enough to think about, just like you know, I got this pain in my knee. I'm like, how do how, you know? What can I do to get it? You know, basically, you know, people may say, oh, do a little stretch and do like that. And to some degree, you know, I can't say we don't know Jack, but basically, I like to say that <laughs> we know a little bit about a little, uh, you know, bit about life. But like my kids. I have a eight-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. They're asking me, so dad, you know they say that the sun is actually white, but it, we see it as yellow. Is that true? I'm like, how do I know? <laughs> no, I'm just like, no, I wasn't gonna say that. Well, I was like, I have no idea. They don't either. They may think they're like, you know, show some scientific knowledge, but it's like, you know, realistically, what do we know? We're like, you know, we're digesting food, do we know how it goes on? Nothing, you know. That the universe, you know, the universe is so organized that, you know, it's like the moon affects the tides, right? How how's that happen? Different phases of the moon. Or like, you know, how what affects the the different, you know, the waxing and the waning of the moon has effects on plants. Like the full moon, it has effects on people's minds also, right? Usually when the full moon, a lot of people get little... Loony. Loony, yeah. <laughs> Lunatic, right? They, they, call it, they call it that because it's, it's connected. We're all, everything's so... But do we know how, how things are going on? Not really, so... Yeah, so if we get a little humble, we, we should see that, you know, we don't know what's going on on the tiniest material level, a lot of times. So what to speak of, like, on the grand spiritual level. So 
that should open us up to try to seek out wisdom from realized beings. And the Vedas, the Vedas in Sanskrit means knowledge. So Prabhupada, the founder of the movement, he gives this example that if you want to find out who your father is, how can you do it? Anybody like to? Ask your mom. Ask your mom? Mm -hmm. Everybody, anybody, any other ideas? DNA check, uh, you have to check however many people. But yeah, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> Ask your mom. Ask your mom. So these days, anyways, but so yeah, so that's the only way of understanding. Somebody who knows can share the knowledge. So the Vedas are like our mother. The spiritual books, the Bhagavad Gita is our mom. Actually, yo mom, that's a Sanskrit phrase. What does that mean? One who knows, that I am unborn. and I am without beginning. Uh, and who knows that I am the controller of all uh, things. Uh, he's not he's not bewildered at death so, and he becomes free from all previous karmas so see yeah you ask a Hare Krishna question you get a lot of answers <laughs> so yeah so the knowledge spiritual knowledge is, is our mother in the sense that the mother can reveal who the father is. And in this analogy, the father is, is Krishna, or God. It's like Prabhupada, he would challenge. Sometimes he would say, okay, in Krishna consciousness, we are saying who the father is, what he looks like, what where he lives, how to get there. So if you don't like it, <laughs> then you, you, you tell us who's God. You know, you bring, okay, we're saying Krishna is God, what do you have to say? You know, like Prabhupada would you know, be a bit spiritually challenging. So that's the, the idea is that, you know, we should be realistic and humble and see that we may not have <laughs> much wisdom or much facilities to know what's beyond or who we, or what, what, what's within, what to speak of what's beyond. And then the way to find out is to search out realized beings. And how do you know who's realized? That is also, you know, a hard thing to know. But usually the character, somebody's activities, somebody's demeanor, what comes out of their mouth, what kind of expressions, you know, you can know what their mental frame is by what comes out of their mouth, you know, the the mind can be shown by what we speak. So realized, or what is, why, why even go to self-realized right now? Just search out elevated company, you know, people that their character inspires you in whatever field. Right here, this field is for spiritual consciousness, right? That's what this house is. That's what the temple is. So it's to elevate our 
our consciousness and to seek the essence of life and help each other. That's why we, we, we do it, you know, it's not like a solo thing. It's not for experiencing spiritual highs. It's a group activity, you know, and this sankirtan, this coming together to glorify the Supreme is the main uh, practice of the Hare Krishnas, and we do it in, in every arena, so to speak. We do it at people's houses, we do it in downtown, in the house, at the temple, other people's houses. We'll be having the Festival of Joy on the, what's that park called? Clyde Warren Park. Clyde Warren Park, and Nityananda Chandra has, uh, during the warmer seasons, he has a kirtan, same thing we're doing here, he does it out at the park on Saturdays. So this is what we're, you know, we're trying to do is help each other be happy and increase our state of Krishna consciousness, our state of spiritual awareness. So thanks for your attention. Any questions, reflections from anybody? I was thinking like, what's your name by the way? My name is Josh. Josh. Josh, yeah. I was thinking, you know, like you were saying body, mind, spirit, and the body we automatically know we have to nourish it, we have to eat, you know, otherwise, you know, we need that for the body. And then the mind, we go to school or we're looking at Wikipedia, we want to learn things. We naturally, most of us want to learn, but I, I think what some people don't miss out, or a lot of people miss out is we have to nourish the soul. So right. How do we do that? Like here singing or meditating or going to the temple or whatever spiritual path you have, you have to nourish the soul to all the, to be like really happy or happy. But um, I think that's like why we're all here is we recognize that okay we get the soul or spirit or spiritual energy something and we want to nourish that spiritual energy. So nice, nice, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Got a feast on the <laughs> prashad. <laughs> yes. I've known him for more than many lifetimes, to be honest. But we, I used to live before I was here. I lived in Denver for ten years, and then before that, I lived in LA for fifteen years, and I've known him since that whole time. So he was—he loves the kirtan, right? The music, and then he wouldn't sit while the talks were going on when he was a lot younger. Then one time I gave a class in the temple and he was like a young teenager. He sat through it, it was like the first time he had ever sat through a class that I've seen. He was like, man, you gave a great class. That was great. I was like, really, what, 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 what'd you like? What points did you like? He goes, oh man, you hit all the points. You hit all the points. I was like, okay, okay. Well, I was once, my, Guru, my teacher, gave a class, and I was like, Maharaj, that was a beautiful class. He was like, what did you like? And I was just looking at him, all like, around blank, I was like, nothing came to my mind at all. He just hit me in the, beat, in the head with his beat pack, you know, it's just like, Hare Krishna. Anybody else? So, Nityananda, shall we chant a little? Good uh, reflections. Mm -hmm.
What's everybody's name? Doggy basket. Take what's a take home? Oh, maybe we can go around and say who who we are. If you don't mind. I'm Sudarshan. Debo, nice to meet all you guys. I'm Bobby. Nice to meet you guys. My name is Billy. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm Mohammed. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. My name is Drew. Drew. Yes. My name is Nicole. My name is Nam Kirtan. My name is Jenny. Nibin. My name is Nibin. This is Giovanni. So yeah, you're welcome. I mean, you probably come here more than I do. I, I usually, I'm helping with my family, family stuff at this time, so I'm welcoming you guys, but you probably come here more than I do. So should we chant a little bit? Yeah. Chanting the What's the doggy basket? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Start. I, I, I missed a little bit because I was in the house. Oh, he wants to say, wants everybody to, we'll, we'll all go around and say, what, like if you were to walk out of the house right now and somebody said, what the heck was that guy talking about? What? Oh, that's a good idea. You know, something that you take home, a little tidbit. Yeah. Doggy baggy call it. Should we start this way? Nicole Bobo. Peoples? Uh, I would like to think about it for a moment. Yeah. You're eternal, so take yeah. your time. Thanks. <laughs> I got you. We can do that later. All right. Um, you was explaining how uh, it was simultaneously God was, everything was within God. He was also, and he was also simultaneously within everything. So that was tripping y'all out when y'all was young. You know what I'm saying? That was a nice. That was a nice thing to say. Um, kind of put it into perspective. You know what I'm saying? Krishna's mysticism. You know what I'm saying? His mystic power. What he can do. You know what I'm saying? That was nice. in the streets and do Harnam and it's kind of like um, I talk to so many people that that's how they start off and everyone that I know who comes to the movement because I, I mean my parents are devotees so I kind of was born into it but everyone who comes to the movement like through Harinam always found that they never lose their taste for Krishna consciousness because like the way that they join is through the holy name and it's like that's the most important aspect of Krishna consciousness nice uh, for me, there were a couple things that really resonated towards the beginning, actually. Um, one was the contrast between going and surrounding yourself with high-minded, conscious people um, who are either seeking or have experienced some sort of awakening, and then <clears throat> going back to the apartment. I also lived in New York, so I, yeah, I was right there with you, wherever you were, in the Broadway and 22nd, and anyway. Uh, Flatiron building. Right. I know it. Uh, <laughs> 
and then kind of going into the, the darkened apartment with the um, kind of mindless numbing droning on of, of kind of how I spend, I think I see a lot of people spending more time than maybe we could or should or whatever positive or negative judgment you pass on that. But then lately as I've been, um, you know, that was right on the tail end of talking about how the, the person giving the class, she made a personal connection with you and that struck you. And that's something I've been working on in my own personal life lately. So that struck me. And then it just, um, I experienced I experience that when I'm surrounding myself with people or I'm experiencing something where people are seeking something more than consuming media. Um, and there is an absolute uh, resonance there that I don't experience when I'm binge watching you or whatever, you know? <laughs> Not you, but the never mind. Netflix, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Um, yeah, I think for me, the, the things that resonated the most were the fact that we're not this body, mm. and that even with the mind, we identify so much with the false ego, and how it's very easy to to get caught in that and on a daily basis, which uh, for me, um, whenever I get caught in that, um, I've been doing it for years, it just creates a lot of misery and depression in my life rather than happiness. Uh, true, true. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the one thing, well, a lot, but the one thing that resonated the most was when you said you can't give what you don't have. And right now I'm working really hard on being a better friend, better, better husband, better a lot of things, but I think a lot of it can happen only if I can truly like within love myself more to be able to do that for others. So. Nice, nice. Um, what I was thinking about was that you really have to, like you have to take care of your mind, body, and spirit, and you have to take care of all three. And if you do that, you will truly be they're unstoppable force. But you, you, have to, you have to consciously take care of all three. Um, and you can't like lag in one. You really have to put the effort to do all three. So that's what kind of stuff. Nice, nice. Um, I liked it when uh, you mentioned uh, when you first came across the devotees, how they're were givers, and that's one thing that attracted me whenever I first came to the temple is that everyone had this giving attitude, and I hadn't really experienced that in my life, and or among other people. So, and um, yeah, so that really resonated with me. And I, um, when you do something like for a child. <laughs> Good and you like <laughs> you do something for your child and you don't expect anything in return so you know yeah the mom the mom knows that the best right yeah <laughs> that's why I was just reminded of my mom saying it's better to give than to receive right you know like 
that's like mom's parents or this spiritual love. No? I like the um, point you're making about how living in me has a tendency to make mistakes and also he's limited in knowledge. And so how the question is, is how does one know what he really knows? And so we take the attitude of being humble and, and seeing the world that we see around us, that there's something much larger than us. Yeah, actually the Sanskrit or spiritual writings of India say that humility is equal to enlightenment. That it's synonymous with pure spiritual love in this one book by one of you know the teachers in, in our line that says that yeah humility is synonymous, it's equal to the enlightened state. So to truly, you know, be humble is a spiritual quality. It's not just like, you know, they say that true humility is not that you think less of yourself, but you think of yourself less. And the only way you can really, you know, think of yourself less is when you're already, you're, you're already vibrant, you're already acting like your true self. You already found it. You found who you really are and you're acting on your true nature. So there's no, you know, nowhere to look. You know, you're not self-absorbed. Then that's what, to be able to give to others more, we, we have to be ourselves, you know, more. So yeah, the, the more we're juiced up, you know, we gotta arrange our life in such a way that we get something from it. And not just, you know, like our friend was saying, Drew was saying that, you know, you have to hit all the body, mind, and soul. So, yeah, I would like to say that more stress should be put on the spiritual, getting the juice. In the sense that, like I was saying, in the connection with the analogy of watering the root. So, you know, when you water the root of the tree, everything is nourished. So the root of, of that hierarchy, or not hierarchy, but the root of those, you know, the body, mind, and soul is the soul. So we should, you know, just as like, you know, most if we look at it, if we put a, you know, a little time schedule of how much, okay, time we put to our body, how much to our mind, how much to our soul, there would be a lot less on that spiritual so yeah that's what we're here for, you know to go for it you know we, we all feel it you know it's not like if somebody sometimes people say oh god is just an opiate for the people right that's like a philosophical phrase from some time back i don't know i just heard it but marks marks what what era was that like turn of the century and he said organized religion was the opiate of the people Okay, so yeah, and then they say, thing I'm trying to get at is like, you know, sometimes they say you just created that need for a God. Sometimes, you know, people say like that. But usually, if there's a need, there's something to fulfill it. Just like that we have thirst, or we have hunger, or there's food, there's water, because there's, there's something, uh, uh, 
to fulfill, there's a thing to fulfill it. And that, that there is a craving for an ultimate reality in one sense proves that there is that. That we don't feel fully satisfied until we're, you know, realized is a sign that there is full realization and there is higher pleasure. So that's what we're, <laughs> we're, we're getting together for is to go for it, you know, not to settle for, you know, a certain amount of conscious pleasure, but to really, you know, that we have that hunger for expanding our spiritual pleasure is proof that, it, that it's possible, that there's pleasure, that the soul can experience so much pleasure that the body can't handle it. Right now, to different degrees, we're settled. Okay, if we, we get a certain a nice meal or a nice conversation at a certain level, we're like, okay, I can keep uh, keep <laughs> keep going. But actually, there's a there's a part of us that's like, no, no, I want to experience this. I have the feeling that there's some some deep pleasure that I'm missing out on because there is. So let's go for it. And here comes some serious pleasure: dinner. <laughs> Cooked with Love by Nityananda Chandra's wife and friends. Thank you all again. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. My name is Jack Arundel.